Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is, is The Science of Motherhood. Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the podcast. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White. My other co-host, Dr. Mika Petucci, um, is... Postpartum doulering. Um, that is what we do when we are not uh, hosting wonderful guests here on our podcast. We have the mother lover business, Fill Your Cup, in Hobart and Melbourne, Australia. And in a previous life, Mika and I were scientists, um, hence the science of motherhood. We've both got a PhD in biochemistry and we are very, very passionate about bringing the science, bringing the experts to you, the public, the audience, mamas, papas, all the families and carers, and that is what we do. In another world, we are postpartum doulas at Fill Your Cup and we do not do that alone. We have our own doula village as well to help look after the mamas of Melbourne and Hobart. So a big shout out to our doula village, Amanda and Georgie and Samara and Caitlin and Kate. We love you, love you, love you. Looking after all of these beautiful families and their babies. Um, if you're looking for a postpartum doula, if you're not sure what a postpartum doula is, check us out over at ifillyourcup.com. We are essentially the village that you may have lost. If you are into the feeling of, I've just come home, I've got my new baby and I don't want to cook, I don't really want to tidy up around the house, I would love to have a birth debrief with someone. I would love to be nurtured and nourished with beautiful, wholesome, postpartum-specific meals. If that sounds like your jam and your ideal postpartum, give us a little contact us form over at the ifillyourcup.com website. You can have a look at our doula village and work out who would be best for you and your family to provide that like soft <laughs> kind of easy transition into motherhood. So that is what we do. If you are outside of Melbourne and Hobart, or even if you are, and you can't access our beautiful Dollar Village, we have got some wonderful products that we have just launched. They are our first products here at FYC. They are our chocolate and goji lactation cookie mix, which is just divine. We have got some like seriously crazy reviews about these cookies. I'm just going to read one out to you. So Emily, we've been making these for like oh, 18 months now for all of our in-home mamas. And we recently were kind of like, oh, we need to get these out to, to more mamas, more families and help support them along their breastfeeding journey. We just got such wonderful, wonderful feedback. So we decided to do a dry mix for these cookies. So you can purchase that dry mix off our website and then you just add coconut oil and a couple of eggs and you can bake them fresh at home. They're freezable as well, which is amazing. And one of our mummers, Emily, has actually sent in a review. She said, these lactation cookies are incredible. The perfect one-handed snack at any hour of the day or night, which is really, really sweet words, Emily. Thank you so much for that. So if you want to pop over to our website and try those cookies, you can. And make sure you get your cheeky little discount. Fill my cup is the code to use, all um, one word, and you'll get 10% off your order. So without further ado, our guest today, oh, I was, we were talking for a long time off air before we actually hit the record button and... <laughs> this is 
This is just a really, really juicy conversation between two women who are super passionate about women's health and the system and culture and villages. And there are some expletives. So um, if you have little ears around, maybe put your AirPods in or something like that. But we have Bernadette from Core and Floor Restore. As I said to her, we are kind of very voyeuristic on uh, Instagram sometimes, particularly with her account. And I have just been one of those, how did I describe it to her? Long time listener, first time caller with her. (laughs) So B is a midwife. She's got a master's in public health. She's also a personal trainer, published author, and previous pant wetter and prolapser. And she is just amazing. She's also a mama and a wife. And she has worked as a midwife since 2007 across Australia and overseas. She she actually shares a beautiful story about when she was a midwife in the Solomon Islands, which, oh my goodness, sound like wait till you hear it. Um, I got tingles, which is just amazing. And we talk about everything from incontinence and anuses and vulvas. And as I said, culture and birth. And it is just, oh my goodness, the pearls of wisdom that have come out of this discussion are just amazing. We knew that we were just going to go from like topic to tangent and tangent topic. There's no really rhyme or reason. It is. It was just essentially two gals sitting down having a chat. So it is definitely going to be part one of many. So buckle up and I really hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Here is B from Core and Floor Restore. Hello and welcome to the podcast. B from Core, Floor and Restore. Woo! <laughs> Can I do the signs of motherhood? Thank you. I feel like it's a bit of an inconvenience because we've just spoken for like 20 minutes and we just want to be besties and we don't I don't want to do the podcast anymore. I just want to chat about we everything should have we're done passionate this. about. So for all those playing at home, it's 10 to 11. We should have done this at probably 7.30 with a G&T. Things would have been, I don't know. Oh, look, a bit I like- don't actually drink alcohol because oh. I'm crazy enough without it. And like, <laughs> I'm the kind of person, if you give me a sip of alcohol, I'm like, let's like I am I don't like I've been what is it like I've they've not wanted to serve me alcohol when I've been sober that's how fun (laughs) I am this is like this is this is like early 20s B like let's not (laughs) let's not judge mid 30s B with two kids come on now cut pipe it down but yeah so look you can have your GNT and I'll just go wild because the kids are in bed and it's that time of the night (laughs) oh god yeah my goodness guacamole so We've been talking offline about heaps of stuff, but we're going to start, and I was just saying how I jumped on your website the other day, and, like, I know that you're all about, you know, pelvic floor and vaginas and anuses and incontinence, and the content that you are pushing out at your socials is unbelievable. I love it. I'm just mesmerised. And Mika and I, we were saying, like, honestly, I wish I knew about you about five and a half years ago because um, it's my daughter's fifth birthday next week. And um, for all those long-time listeners, they would know that I was a complete and utter anxious mess going into my birth. And I ended up pulling the ripcord and going for an elective cesarean because I had no trust in my body. I had no trust in the system and I completely spiraled. Um, But I have seen the content that you are putting out. I've seen your antenatal classes. It is a class that we recommend to all of our FYC mamas um, when they kind of join our village. And I'm just like, get yourselves over there. It is free. It is amazing. And it is so empowering 
the content that you are putting out. I just wanted to say thank you so much Mm -hmm. for doing that. You are just an amazing human being. So do you want to start off just, and we're not going to do briefly because shit, that's gone out the window, hasn't it, B? B B doesn't do briefs. (laughs) B does not stand for briefs. So, okay, I'm going to do a quick brief and people would have heard this from the intro. You're a mum, you're a midwife, you've got a master's degree in public health, you're a personal trainer, published author, and I love this, previous pant wetter and pro lapser. (laughs) I just love the honesty as well. You're just like straight to the point, girlfriend. But what I did not know, and I found this out on your website, is your history, how you got here. At 19, Mm. you were experiencing incontinence. Now, Mm -hmm. I think, especially for myself, I would kind of, you know, incontinence is synonymous with, you know, post-birth or, you know, Mm. ageing or something like that. Mm. What was going on at 19? What Mm. happened? What what, what was going on? Um, Well, firstly, I just want to honour you for a second and your first birth. I just, I can't let that go without like sending you some love around that for your mind and body. That, that sounds big and happy birthing day coming up. Thank you. Happy birthday to your five-year-old. I just had a baby turn five and five just felt so big. So It does, doesn't it? Oh, just, it's so big. I remember when he was born, just being like, oh, you're going to be five one day. And then it happened and I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> like I need all the babies and I need them now. Like I didn't want my first two children. My husband had to beg me for them. And now I'm like, oh, we need more. And he was like, what if you had wanted the one that I wanted four years prior to when we had our first, you could have had all the babies, but now <laughs> you can't. He's like real. He's like, I've got gray eyebrow hair, so we can't have children. Anyway, <laughs> that his def- that's his definition. See, I told you I don't do brief. Okay, so what was happening for me at 19? Well, I was wetting myself. I was wetting myself when I sneezed. And this is why I'm so passionate about a this misbelief that birth ruins us, and I'm going to come back to that. So if you're like, mm-hmm. birth didn't ruin me, big love to you because it can. It can. But I do not believe that physiological birth, when it's left undisturbed and women's bodies are able to do what they were so beautifully built to do, break. Mm-hmm. Right? There's not a massive recall on women. Right? So that's the first kind of thing. The second thing is it's such a... This is why I'm so passionate about being such a holistic approach because we often think it's birth that does it, but most of us enter our first pregnancy with some form of core and or pelvic floor. And really the pelvic floor is part of the core. So when we say core, the whole like the whole core unit, there is some kind of misalignment, dysfunction, like people don't like those words because they're harsh, but for lack of a better word, dysfunction, you know, you just got to look at people's postures and know our bodies aren't working the way they were designed to. Mm. And so for me at 19, I now look back and go, well, yeah, I have a life, I had a childhood of constipation and like 19 may may seem young to you, but women come to me with their kids that are incontinent. Mm. You know, like this isn't just an old lady or a birth issue. So I had really severe constipation, like memories of my dad sticking suppositories up my bum as like oh. an eight-year-old going like to like PD and my dad did shift work. I think a lot of people are like, why wasn't it your mum? But I was really close to my dad and he did shift work. So he was the one that had to do it. And I just feel for him because that just would have been horrible. Mm-hmm. Living on paraffin oil and metamucil, like that's, I remember my childhood like that, going between pediatric places, you know, just trying to get answers. And really what I see now, it's why I'm so passionate about pooing. Like constipation is so damaging on our pelvic floor. We're just bearing down. We're using intra-abdominal pressure to push something out that's not wanting to come out physiologically Mm. on its own, which is the same as coach pushing, which is why I'm so passionate around what happens in the birth space. Because yes, birth ruins us when we're not allowed to, when we're not you know, facilitated to to physiologically birth, and that's what coach pushing is. You're you're forcing a baby to come out when it hasn't yet signaled that it's ready because we're built with this incredible system to push our babies out called the fetal ejection reflex. But the majority of women in maternity care systems that are modernised are robbed of that because we diagnosed a pushing stage and all we diagnosed it on was what the cervix was doing, not where the baby is in relation to the pelvis or what the woman is feeling. 
we also got really fucking confused with oh, I always swear, sorry. It's, it's okay. evidence based. That's all right. It's evidence based, but then you have to put explicit, I think, on the podcast. <laughs> I knew um, I was gonna have to check that box for this one. <laughs> I'm always like, it's it's evidence-based and it's good for us. But I forget what I was saying. <laughs> Something around birth. That's okay. <laughs> it was so we're all always just monitoring the cervix and not oh, and we've cervix. got we've got the two stages. Like let's let that go. Yeah. So basically, if we come back to me at 19, see I told you I wouldn't do brief. Um, <laughs> we so I had constipation really bad, so that's straining on the pelvic floor for my whole childhood. I had chronic hay fever, so I oh. went underwent immunine therapy for like three years so that I would be able to sit my HSC exam. So I'm a New South Wales woman um, originally, and so we did the HSC in spring, which is when my hay fever would be so bad. So in year nine, I started a three-year course of immunine therapy so that I would be able to sit my exams without sneezing too oh, much. Oh, Wow. So that, like all that pressure on the pelvic floor. Then I was a dancer. Um, and so when we dance, we suck our belly buttons in and sucking our belly buttons into our spine is not correct core activation. It throws our posture out. We typically flare our bums out and we flare our rib cages out. And so that whole core unit is so used to being in a conditioned state that isn't aligned. And so my body wasn't talking to itself at all. And then if I look back, I was probably a really highly anxious child. I was a high achiever. I always got, you know, the best of the best grades. I was, you know, I got really good marks in school and but the pressure I put under myself and that fear of failure was huge as a little girl like mm. I, as a like a six and seven year old I'd have a timetable written up of when I was going to study like it was it was big because that's how you know that that's what I saw my mum and dad liked and I would get love for that I guess really is what I internalized and you know I wasn't thinking that at the time but now I can look back and go good grades meant good love and so let's do this let's get these marks and so you know that real people pleaser when our thoughts are tense our body is tense and so I I think what I thought was my body was really weak but I I now realize what I had was a lot of pelvic floor tension and so the muscle wasn't able to work as properly and, and the, it wasn't in sync and so I started leaking urine when I sneezed and I kept that secret that dirty secret for a good 12 years uh, without telling anyone so I wow. suffered in silence my whole 20s and it got worse as I got older but I was like running marathons and it was fine it was just when I sneezed and then as I got older as I coughed and I was a midwife at this stage I was telling other women you know to you kegels you'll be fine I'm and you know sometimes I would admit it to women who would disclose it to make them feel more comfortable in the mm -hmm. session because I did continuity of care so I'd get to know these women and I'd be like yeah me too you know just so they didn't feel alone meanwhile I wasn't doing anything about it I was just I was just preaching wasn't practicing and then I was then when we decided when I finally got convinced to have another have a baby I was like oh this shit's gonna affect me <laughs> like I need to do something about it. So preconceptually in Melbourne, I went to see a physio and got told, you know, do your Kegels, stop running, don't get pregnant for four to six months. And I, I walked away being really sad because I was like, you've just told me to not do the things I like to not do the thing I love, which is running. Yeah. You've just told me to do Kegels, which boring. And you've told me I can't have a baby for four to six months. Like, you know, what happens if then it takes another, tw like it was just the head Messery. Yeah. I'm going to say yeah. messery. I always say fuckery. <laughs> Psychological <laughs> warfare, I call it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was huge. Anyway, got did all those things, kind of not really like, and then got pregnant. We never <laughs> follow the advice that we pay for, as well as uh, we, you know, need to sometimes. And so I got pregnant, and from like six weeks, I was like vomiting, and I was like, "Oh, this is so exciting! I've got morning sickness, yay!" And then with every vomit, I would wet myself, and I oh. was vomiting all day and all night from like six weeks to like thirty. And so my dirty little secret was exposed because my husband—I remember him walking in. I remember the first time it happened. I was in our apartment in Melbourne, and he walked through the doors, and I just vomited in the kitchen sink, and then like wet myself at the same time. And he was like oh go get the mop and you know like I like I had the most excruciating pelvic girdle pain like at 20 weeks I couldn't walk anymore and I was oh. this person that was running marathons and I just felt like my body was broken and at 18 weeks I I spoke to my midwife I told my husband I said I need a termination he was like no you don't 
you know, that whole listening to fix, not listening to hear. And so I took it to my midwife and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do pregnant anymore. Like I'm done. I was a home birth midwife at the time. I was working caseloads. So I was up at all hours of the night trying to catch babies whilst pissing myself and vomiting. Like I'd be, I'd turn up to a home birth and vomit in someone's garden and then go in and catch a baby and, you know, just massive surfboard. Could Moddy Body wasn't a big thing. This was like six, seven years ago. Oh, yeah. Thank, like, um, thank you, Moddy Body. That's all yeah. I need to say. Holy God. Yeah, and really. I'm not affiliated with them. I should be because I really yes. love them. But <laughs> they, massive surfboard pads and you can't get rid of them at people's houses and they stink. And so my legs are really excoriated because the pad would fill up and then mm. the urine would just be in my legs I must have stunk so bad but luckily pregnant women are, or birthing women are like totally focused on themselves so they probably <laughs> didn't notice it but the partner was probably like who's old pissy pants turning up to like <laughs> catch our baby here and so it was really traumatic and it's the reason I didn't go back for another baby for like another four years like I I'm good at birthing like birthing is my jam Mm -hmm. pregnancy the second pregnancy was so much better I will say that the pelvic girdle pain wasn't there the incontinence was hardly there only vomited like once a day like it was so you know people like once a day but it was good like and it was in the morning I'd wake up I'd vomit and I'd be fine yeah, morning sickness is such a horrible term because for most people it's all day and night. Mm. So, yeah, I was left pregnancy really traumatised and I guess this is why I'm so passionate about what I do and and dispelling the myths and, you know, it's not about just Kegels and it's not about just birth. You know, so many women are experiencing these things before they're pregnant or during their first pregnancy and the research supports that around, you know, incontinence experience. So if you're experiencing incontinence, that's symptomatic pelvic floor dysfunction. So, like, I look back now and I would have been asymptomatic, so not having it, probably for a good couple of years beforehand, but my body was compensating really well. Mm. It's the same with prolapse. Many women have a prolapse and don't know about it. And if this just freaks you out, please know if you're not symptomatic, then it's okay. Your body's doing really beautiful, but keep working on your body to, you know, I was listening to The Happiest Man Alive the other day, the, Mm. the book about the Auschwitz um, survivor who's like 101. And he says in it, you know, he's an engineer, a German engineer. Like, I don't need to say any more than that. Like, super intelligent man that knows machines. And he's like, there is no greater machine than the human body, but it needs hope to fuel it. And, you know, I see that so much in postpartum. Women are like, you know, I've got a prolapse, so I'm broken. I'm not going to be a fun mom. I'm never going to get back to doing what I love. My yeah. husband or my partner's going to leave me and cheat on me because my vagina wall's hanging out. Like, you know, we go down that head fuckery route. Whereas if we broke our legs, we'd be like, okay, this sucks. And I'm going to get physio and I'm going to do my exercises and it's going to take a long time, but I'm going to recover and I'm going to mm-hmm. walk again. I'm going to run again and I'll be fine. We just don't culturally accept these issues. And we see, them is dirty like so many people like you're so brave for talking about what you've got and it's like well you know if we don't then so many women a don't know about these things and you know people like oh you're fear-mongering like sometimes I'll get that like you know it's like well most people want to know like if you're the first time you find out about prolapse is when you look down at your vulva for the first time maybe ever and you see parts of it hanging out and then you google I don't want women to feel alone when they're doing that because that's that's hard. And if you're doing that with a newborn baby, that's going to fuck you up. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, let's get the message out that you can heal. Yeah, it's going to take time and commitment and it's not going to feel good for a while. But if we can socially accept a broken leg or a broken arm or help other health issues, like even cancer now, like, okay, you've got cancer, you're going to go through yeah. chemo, you can recover. There's hope around that. There's not a lot of hope around these issues. People think, you know, it lasts forever and then it really consumes and robs women of experience that could be positive like a positive pregnancy like a positive birth like a positive postpartum and I guess you know that's I I do a lot of one-on-one chats and a lot of you know counseling around these for people that have these conditions and that's their biggest what holds the most charge for them is they're like I don't feel like I'm connecting with my baby or I'm getting the maternity leave experience that I imagined and then they look back and go well that didn't feel good i didn't mm. enjoy that and i don't get to do it again i don't get a second chance so yeah that's i, I did yeah did i answer that question yeah 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 100 <laughs> that's i think that's a fascinating kind of 
history and and just on the hope kind of I've got two things one the the being able to poo properly I think that was I think I that was one of the first pieces of content that I had kind of seen from you that whole put your feet up um put them flat particularly with children as well you know Mm. grab the sanitary bin lie it on its side so the kids can pop their feet up and um, I actually, after that, I went out and I got um, a little, are they called squatty potties? The thing that wraps around the toilet. And so they Yeah, squatty like, potties are brand, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. She, you know, I always tell her, put your feet up there flat, you know, so you can go to the toilet. And she looks at me like, you know, an idiot. She's like, why do I need to do that? And I was like, because it will make you poo easier, sweetheart. Like it'll be less strain on you. And she was like, oh, okay, we're not then. meant to poo on a Western toilet. Yeah. Like we've created. And that's the thing. The majority of what we've created for our comfort has made us more uncomfortable yeah. um, and created issues. Like we're meant to poo in a squat. We're meant mm. to sit in a squat. We're not meant to sit at chairs on at tables on chairs or couches or drive cars like all these things like don't get me wrong I I don't want to live without a car like you know I move around a lot (laughs) but um we're using our bodies in the opposite way that they were designed to and so if if we're going to do that then we have to expect that there's going to be issues that arise from that yeah you know and so pooing is a western toilets are absolutely horrific on our pelvic floors um and and women go you know a lot of women will push on them too and it's the same thing if you're pushing during birth on a toilet you need your knees up higher than hips you need your feet flat i find with kids if they're if they're smaller and they fit through the ring of the toilet Mm. they naturally sink into the toilet that is so true yes so they it tends to not be an issue for littler kids until they get a bit older and they are come more into like a right angle sit as opposed to a squat but still the feet dangling like we want them supported on something because the drive through the heels there's some research and support around this now around that that connection to the pelvic floor because it goes right through the legs and stuff Mm -hmm. so really having those feet to to be supported but you know our bodies were designed to just let poo passively come out of our of our anus um and but most of us actively push and so this is why I'm I'm really big on pregnant people learning how to passively push their poo out because if they gain that trust in their body that their body can do that then they gain trust in the space that it'll passively push their um baby out and so there's the fetal ejection reflex but and i didn't make this up i have to credit one of my gorgeous colleagues ariana reed um for making up the fecal ejection reflex so fecal (laughs) meaning poo rather than fetal because we do we have a fecal injection reflex and we have a fetal ejection reflex and learning to trust the fecal through using my ucha method which is on um instagram you can look up my reels how to have the best poo of your life and read about it there but um it's really big but yeah we're conditioned from childhood to like you know strain and force and the same with wean lots of us power we so like we run to the toilet we push a wee out we leave again or we do things like we in the shower and we don't need to actually do a wee but we force ourselves to do it and so mm. it's that power pee we're actually straining through the urethra and pushing that wee out so it's exactly the same as constipation but it's instead of the anus this time we're doing the urethra and then the same with coach pushing we're using our vagina and and it's the same thing we're getting that muscle that should be lengthening to actually contract and bear down and you know around with coach pushing the uterus is what pushes the baby out and so the whole pelvis needs to soften and open but when you hold your breath and push everything contracts and everything gets smaller and there's less room for the baby to rotate and move and you know people are like oh you know it might only be a millimeter or two but the millimeter or two makes a huge difference in birth um and really why are we using a muscle that sits under the baby to push a baby out you know that muscle the pelvic floor needs to lengthen and get the hell out of the way and you know we see this all the time if you're if you're stressed, your muscles are tight, right? So if you're a woman and your baby's just become stressed and you're coached to push, you've got a really tight pelvic floor and then you get an instrument put in that into that, like a forceps, and that gets that 
gets pulled through. If you think about it, if you're next target and then you strain it and you make mm-hmm. it do something, then it's going to tear. And so all these women whose pelvic floors haven't yet um, had the signal to release, right, because the baby hasn't dropped down enough and the theory is there's not enough. This is I'd love to do some research around this. Mm-hmm. But the theory is now that the clitoris plays a big role in this and the reason we've started to understand this is because of what happens in orgasm is in, in, to the pelvic floor is what we're thinking is happens happens in birth. And so the pelvic floor muscles kind of sit like this. We often think that they sit under, but they are a healthy live muscle. And so much of what we know is from dead humans, from cardiovars, mm-hmm. but they don't have blood running through them. So it's really hard to know. You know, I mean, there's ultrasound and MRI and stuff like that now. So we're understanding that the pelvic floor kind of sits more up and it kind of hangs out around the ischial spines, which is um, you can feel them. They're real, the bony bits in between next to your um, labia. Mm -hmm. Um, So your vulva there. If you feel right in, you'll feel them right in the middle kind of side besides your vagina. Um, So the pelvic floor kind of hangs there. And just before we orgasm, the pelvic floor will spasm to draw the semen in, right? Mm. That's like the kind of belief into it, to suck it in. Um, and then as we orgasm, the pelvic floor lengthens and releases, and that's when we have ejacula- ejaculation as, as women, which, mm-hmm. you know, is that, in it, that concept in itself is something that, you know, we don't get taught as girls. Like, boys, oh, they can yeah. have orgasms all the time. They're hard. They're big. They ejaculate. We don't learn that as girls that we get hard, we get big, we ejaculate. Like I remember the first time looking down at my vulva, like when I really was aroused, like, and, you know, like because sex was for me, especially in my young 20s, it was so much about male pleasure because that's kind of like the culture. So I was like, oh, as long as he enjoys it. But I remember like the first time looking down at my vulva and being like, what the fuck's happened to it? <laughs> like, holy shit, why has it done that? Like, why is it so big? It looks so ugly. It's so scary. It's kind of gone inside out. Like, holy what is that? Like just being so <laughs> petrified of it because um, it didn't know because I was a good Catholic girl. We didn't touch ourselves. We didn't look at ourselves. Yeah. That was really taboo. You were going straight to hell if you so much as looked at your vulva and hell was scary. Like I'm in church every week. Like I don't want to go there. So oh, I was wow. leaving that around. Um, you know, that was my upbringing. My mum's Maltese. I had a really strict Catholic upbringing. Hold on. Pause for a second. Oh, I'm a Malteser too. <laughs> We are so going to be BFFs. You're just going to have to move to Queensland, though. I can't. I can come for the holidays to Hobart, (laughs) but it's too cold. Yeah, so my mum was born in Malta and then came out as a child. So, like, church every Saturday. Oh, um, my God. Grace before meals. Don't touch your vulva. Cross your legs. That's what ladies do. You do not have a clitoris under any circumstances. Anything below the waist is not up for grabs or anyone else's grabs. Or anyone else's grabs. Definitely not. You're a slut too. We just (laughs) let you be before you're pregnant. Oh, I haven't heard that word since year nine. But that was definitely my upbringing. Not that my mum would say that. No, oh my gosh. I do remember my sex, my my contraception talk with my mum was Driving around a car park in Penrith Plaza. Shout out to my Western Sydney folks. That's where yeah. I grew up. Um, and my mum being like, just randomly after we were shopping one day, you know, if you get pregnant, we'll support you. It'll be okay as long as he doesn't have tattoos. <laughs> the tattoos. That's the limitation. Well, you're a bad person if you've got tattoos, which is hilarious because I have tattoos now, but my husband doesn't. Um, so I did all right. And mum didn't say anything about me not having tattoos. Oh, just the wow. person yes. I had the baby with. And I like I hadn't even like looked at my vulva yet, let alone like looked at a penis. And I was just like, somebody get me out of this car. <laughs> like I was so awkward. Where is the so eject awful. button? <laughs> Where is it? It's not your clitoris. That's for sure. <laughs> Don't press that. Um, how how old were you when she had that conversation? In, like year nine, so yeah. maybe like 14, yeah. 15. Yeah. yeah. It's obviously on her mind. She was yeah. obviously like, I need to have it. Right, we're bonded, we've been shopping. She can't Bad run priorities. away. We are trapped in a car. Yeah. 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 And okay. I just didn't say like just it causes me to like physiologically feel tight now, <laughs> even just going back to poor 14-year-old B, like just like clawing silently at the windows, <laughs> like clip it's getting hot here please wind down the window yeah so yeah wind down I love that you knew, knew that it would have be been oh. 
So it wasn't a press of the button. So that, you know, I remember looking at my vulva just being like, wow, it expands. And so, yes, as women, we get hard, we get big, we ejaculate as well, right? So there's like the big clit energy now. Like we're starting to understand it. But we only really understood the size and and really the capacity of the clitoris. Like I'm sure women for centuries before we kind of, you know, got religiously dominated, I'm sure women... Mm. Hopefully, I want to hope that women have been orgasming for 60,000 years. Um, But, you know, 2005 was when we started to really understand how big the clitoris was. And now last year we had research that was published that shows that medial lateral episiotomies can cut in to the the ejectile, erectile tissue, which is the Mm. clitoris. Right. And so when women have had an episiotomy and you say that to them, a lot of them are like, holy shit, that makes so much sense. Um, so, you know, this is really new stuff. And so, yeah, so it, during orgasm, and this is why I love orgasm for birth prep, is because it's allowing the body to practice and do what it's epically designed to do, which is contract, yeah. um, you know, and so during birth it kind of contracts and helps that baby at, as a bit of resistance to get into the, to a good position, and then it needs to drop down and lengthen. And the idea, the belief is that kind of as the pelvic floor lengthens and, and, and comes in line with the clitoris, which is why forward-leaning birthing positions are so important, um, or, you know, like even in that squat that women traditionally birthed in, it's mm-hmm. it's still forward-leaning and the pelvic floor is lengthened in that space. So in any forward-leaning positions, the pelvic floor is lengthened. When you get when you lay on your back and your knees are up in stirrups, the pelvic outlet, which is where the baby's got to come out, is naturally smaller and the pelvic floor is, is naturally in a in a more contracted state so if you're in that position and you're in a contracted state and see i'm coming back look how good i did i came full circle um and you're scared that your baby's stressed and you're being told to push then everything that's happening in this space is is contracted Mm. and so there isn't the lengthening and the opening the release and the surrender to help that space get soft and mushy and open and so then women end up with quite significant tears and they think it's their body and their bodies that's been broken but it's so situational and you know i can i do a lot of consultation with women around whether they want to have a vaginal birth after a significant tear because they're often um guided to have a cesarean not always but uh, it's often the recommendation um and then with prolapse too and it's like well you know a lot of it is looking at it and going well what are you willing to do this time and what are you not willing to do and what are you willing to ask for and and not have and you know some women will be like yeah if I go into spontaneous labor and I'm left undisturbed and I just physiologically labor then I'll have a vaginal birth but if it's looking like an induction or you know an instrumental then I want a cesarean and so you know it's really about that discussion and we need to as care providers really be fluid in our in the care that we provide which is being individualized but it's so hard to do that in a busy system where we don't know people and naturally like you know I've I've lived in like a tiny island in the Solomon Islands that was like five kilometers in radius right so like we know you knew everyone on the island and then I've lived in like big cities like Melbourne and you know people often say cities are so isolating and that's you don't treat people you don't know as nice as you treat people you do know like that's one of the biggest things with continuity of care yeah like I always care for people that are under my care but if I know you like if I've known you your whole pregnancy you're my woman like you are under my wing honey I am everything I can for you because you matter to me whereas when I rock up and you're seven centimeters and I don't know you from a bar of soap and I'm trying to get to know you like or that that I always feel dangerous providing that care I've never felt safe providing care to people I don't know because it doesn't look it's not safe I don't know you I don't know you intimately I don't know you um emotionally I don't know you physically yeah I can read it on a piece of paper but that's not connection that's not intuitive that's not going to help my intuitive midwifery self go this isn't right and that's where we miss things like you know I remember caring for this woman she was like an Australian um soccer uh player she was incredible like so fit and I was her student midwife when she was having her second baby and she'd had a really easy beautiful first birth in her words and this second labor I was like oh it's gonna be amazing I'm gonna get a vaginal birth like I'm gonna you know as a student midwife we're like right you're gonna have one for me so I'm gonna get my numbers up because it's all about (laughs) numbers when you're a student and she came into hospital really early and the midwives were like you're not in labor 
then like she's like I can't go home this is labor I've been in it before I know like this is really hard this is nothing like I've been through before and they stuck her up on any natal ward and I didn't leave her because I was like I knew her I knew her intimately I knew how strong she was and I knew what was going on for her wasn't safe and didn't feel right for her what she had was a posterior labor and she pushed that baby out completely posteriorly without any pain relief which is you know posterior is a variation of normal we just now see it as abnormal but it's not it's a variation of normal and afterwards she was just like that was horrendous like because she'd had an anterior labor and a posterior labor and she was like in comparison to my first birth that was so hard and that was horrendous but but what made it horrendous was that no one believed her that she was in labor right no one was trusting her and she was like you were the only one you were the only one that stayed with me and knew. And if I didn't have that, it would have fucked her. Like it would have fucked her up for her birth because she, and she probably wouldn't have dilated, but she's like, you trusted in me. You were there to support me. So I knew I could trust in myself. And that to me is true continuity. Like when yeah. you know a woman so deeply that you are able to provide safe care and in talking about safe care and not just clinically, emotionally, family, you know, spiritually, all that kind of cultural safety yeah. is so important to labor like you need to tick all the safety boxes to feel safe um in birth for your body to feel safe so it dilates and opens and softens that's yeah. why we talk about trust that's why we talk about safety so much it's so the body goes oh exactly that's and what, does I, what it needs to do that's what i didn't feel you know leading up to my birth like i mm. i didn't trust myself let alone anyone else around me you know i had um i went with a private obstetrician because i thought you know if you pay the big dollars you get the you get the best you know type mm. of situation and i i didn't know any different like i was no. walking into it very naive and you're 100% right i did not trust what was going on, who was there. I didn't trust the, oh, if I just go into labour, um, oh, okay, I might get the obstetrician that I've just paid like, you know, thousands of dollars for. I might get the private midwife that I've seen a couple of times during the clinic kind of, you know, appointments. I might get those. It was a lucky dip at the end of the day and there was definitely one obstetrician in that practice group who I did not resonate well with. Um, I just think we were like, we're two different personalities and that's fine. You know, no, nothing, nothing bad or anything. We just didn't mesh. And I kept thinking to myself, like sweet mother of God, if I walk in and I'm in labor and I'm faced with her, all Mm. bets are off. Like I'm doing, this is, I'm not going to be in a very good headspace whatsoever. Um, and so when I started to spiral a bit mentally, my husband like <laughs> pulled me in real quick and he was like, I think this is going south. Um, yeah. I'm not sure where this is going to end up. So I think we need to start talking about action plans. And I ended up choosing an elective cesarean because that was me gaining control and trust mm-hmm. for myself mm-hmm. and the system, mm-hmm. but also kind of going back to that um quote about hope and Mm. you know that your body Mm. needs hope I kept like the psychological warfare for myself first of all I didn't tell anyone I was having an elective cesarean because I was terrified of the judgment Mm. um and then I just had to keep telling myself day by day by day you will be okay yes you've been cut open yes it's okay. You can't pick up your baby right now. It's okay. Like other people have done this, Renee, you will be okay. But it was hard. And Mm. to instill that hope back into yourself is really, Mm. really difficult. And we- On sleep deprivation and trying to care for a newborn. Exactly. Exactly. We have these conversations with all of our FYC mamas all the time. Mm. And it's, and it is that constant, um, you know, particularly the first visit after the baby's there, there is a lot, a lot to unpack. And typically mm. it's, you know, mummers who thought that birth was going to be a lot different to what <laughs> their expectations were. And, and, yours- and working through that is really mm. difficult for them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, that, I mean, I do birth debriefs 
all the time now, but I really see like it's like, you know, everyone needs a birth debrief. It's it, birth is the most transformative process. And it starts with pregnancy. You know, that period of your life is so transformative. So to not be able to have your story heard and and speak it is huge. But what I find is it's often in stages and so it's like you know you need different debriefings at different stages and you're going to take what you need at that stage for it like it needs to be I would love postpartum care to be 12 months of a big bucket of funding where women could go right I want a postpartum doula right now I want a cleaner right now I want a physio right now I want an osteo right now I want a massage now I want a babysitter like Mm -hmm. where they actually get to you know just do what they need that would be like when I'm prime minister that's what's going to happen yes Um, (laughs) vote one for B I know um (laughs) where everyone will be using the word vulva not vagina as well be mandatory um and we we are Australian will be the national anthem but I won't be able to sing it I'll just cry I like the first verse oh my god that came on like as a because we're going on a tangent like let's yeah that came on we had the ABC on um the other morning and my daughter and I had like done a road trip up to Devonport anyways side story and it came on um at the hotel that we were at and she started singing it and I was like oh my god initially I was like oh my god this is so sweet but then I was like please stop because I'm about to start crying yeah and it just brings up so she's, much for she's me. She's not going to understand why mummy's crying, but I'm just like, really oh. upset because I was like, okay, some really horrible things. Mummy needs to go forward. do a wee. <laughs> just like I'm going to get out of here for a second. I'm useless. Yep. Bluey episodes that. Um, yeah. Oh God, I've forgotten the name of it. Um, the one where she's in the mother's group. Um, baby race. Oh, baby race. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So my yeah. daughter was a bum shuffler okay i was they wrote that episode for you oh my god and they got got me so good because those sneaky buggers because they released that in the pandemic and we were so excited because we were like yes new bluey episodes Woo! you know like oh my god i'm gonna get like five minutes to myself um to make a cup of tea anyways so I'm like Eva come on get on the couch new bluey episodes and I'm like sitting down watching it and then I was like (laughs) I know and this season they got deep they got real deep they've got like a new um child psychologist on they're doing like previous trauma stuff they're doing infertility like they're addressing it all but I know I was like you guys are killing me back what you beautifully described is where most women are at in our society and this doesn't this is not our fault it's not our individual fault as women but what we have done is we've moved away from being together as women yes and having all these rites of passages where you know we grew up as young girls and we see that women once they hit a certain age start bleeding and then they go off together and you know there's or, or you're a part of it you know every culture did different things but um we're we're really stripped of all the ceremony and ritual around our reproductive health and when we do that we um rob ourselves of the knowledge and so most women now turn up to their first pregnancy in life with you know the previous 20 something 30 something years of no knowledge no connection to that space no ritual no ceremony like we look at our periods as an inconvenience we want them to go away you know when I was a teenager women my my you know friends were taking the pills so they wouldn't bleed and I remember at that time like being like dude, this is not okay. Like, you can't do this. Your body needs to bleed. Like, I remember knowing at that stage, and I was never wanting to be a midwife. This was nothing I was ever going to do in my life. Um, I I just knew that that was wrong. I was like, that blood needs to come out of your body. Like, your body needs to know that this is what it's doing every time. You're messing the machine up. Mm. And, um, you know, now, like, so much of what happens to us in women's health is things being done to us examinations investigations medicine things that we put into our body and examine our body and it all becomes around our body not working and so there is so much distrust but there's also so much lack of nourishment and knowledge and support you know this whole time in our lives when we bleed 
When we bleed, it's meant to be this beautiful opportunity to release physically and emotionally. We're meant to be held by other women. We're meant to hold each other. That's why we bleed and at the same time. Like to not understand that, like to really take a step back and go, holy shit, our bodies sync with other bodies. Like, yeah. well, like if we just take a moment to think about that, there is a fucking reason for it. Yes. Right. And that's because we're all meant to be held and we're meant to be holding each other. When I worked in the Solomons, the women would all labor in one room. And it was so fucking powerful. Like if you say that to a Western woman, she'd be like, nope, like I want my private room, damn it. But you know, the the laboring together, I have never seen power like I saw. In I could that only labor imagine room. the energy in the room. Like to me, like I'm getting tingles just thinking about mm. it. Like just imagine like feeding off that energy of like, you can do this. Like we are doing like, this. We are having yeah. babies. Yeah. One would rub one back. Well, it would, and you know, talk about in sync. I've never really thought of this before. Um, in sync really should have been a girl band, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it should yes. have been in sync. Um, <laughs> But because we're in sync, damn it. You boys aren't in sync. We're in sync. Um, so the one would have a contraction and rub one's back and then the other one would have a contraction. Like there was just this. And because partners weren't typically, well, they weren't allowed in there until I started being like, they could come in if no other woman, if no other woman was there, I'd like let partners in. Um, but it was really cool because you'd have a woman that's just given birth, breastfeeding her baby. So you're getting the oxytocin off this delicious newborn. You'd have one in the birthing room and, and you'd hear it and there would be fear, but then there would also be like power. Like she did it. Now I'm now. I'm going to get my baby. Like there was just, it was, oh, like I just, I really wish that's what it looked like for us. Like, I mean, even mm. me, like, you know, I home birth and I was on my own, but it's just that solidarity in this connection with other women. Yeah. And, you know, this time in our lives, we're meant to be nourished, we're meant to be supported, we're meant to be held up. But instead it's like, keep going. Like, yeah, I'm bleeding. I can still work. I can do this and I'm pregnant and I'm going to work. And That was me. It was me twice over. Like I'm just because I'm growing a baby doesn't mean I can't do things. Like look at me at 26 weeks moving house because I need the strength for my birth. Like that was my attitude. Like I need this so I'm fine. Whereas now I'm like, oh honey like let me cook for you let me clean for you like like just rest um you know and so we've lost so much of it so we go into our first birth and it's not there and then we blame and we turn around and blame ourselves I should have known I wish I'd known why didn't I know if only Mm -hmm. I'd known this and I would have done that and and it's not our fault it's but it it is our responsibility as women to start to change this I agree ourselves and our younger generations I I don't think it's our fault at all I think you know the conversations that we've already had in this short amount of time you know we're learning from the generations before us um Mm. you know don't talk about your period don't talk about your vulva don't touch your vulva don't you know you don't don't do any of that and but I think our generation now I'm seeing that shift I mean we are Mm. something that I am very conscious of particularly it was the reason why we moved to Tasmania. So I'm Melbourne born and bred. And whilst mm. we had family and friends there, they weren't close by. And, you know, yeah. the pandemic arrived. My daughter, who was quite uh, exuberant and um, extrovert kind of personality, went downhill very quickly. And so we decided that's it, we're out of here. So we moved over. And one of the fundamental reasons is because she's an only child. And she mm-hmm. was always going to be an only child. We mm. played devil's advocate and thought about a second and then just ended up getting another cat. <laughs> but, um, you know, we moved to Tasmania because we had a village here and mm. we had family and friends who had children who were very similar age. To me, they're going to be like siblings for her. Mm. Um, you know, my best girlfriends are like her aunties. She mm. learns from them. We holiday together. She goes, mm. I want her to be going to them for advice when she doesn't, sl- you know, mum, oh, I don't want to talk to mum about that, but I'm happy to go to, you know, Auntie Megan or Auntie Carly or something like that. Mm. That's mm. what I want. That's what we're instilling. Mm. And that's what I'm hoping, mm. you know, this generation, she's already told me, she's like, mum, when I grow up, you're going to look after the mums and I'm going to look after the babies. Deal? Mm. And I'm like, deal, babe. Like, oh. let's just do this. And I think, you know, that's the, we can just only 
provide the actions around, mm. you know, this is how we support our village. Like, mm. you know, we've got friends who have had COVID or we've had a baby or something like that. And I'm like, right, get in the kitchen. We're making soup. We're making cookies. We're making dal. And she's like, what's happening? What's going on? And I'm like, well, so-and-so is unwell. This is mm. how we support our village, sweetheart. And she was like, mm. oh, okay, then. That's what mm-hmm. I'm hoping we can start, you know, mm. that pebble in the in the river, mm. just get that ripple effect happening mm. because I feel like we're almost damaged goods from from the previous generation, and we're just like we can do this, people. We can we yeah. can make that change. And it's, you know, it's many generations, and they had a lot that they went through. There was war, yes. there was depression, there was a lot there, but and they didn't have the information and you know the access to people like yeah. we do. It's like they weren't listening to podcasts. Like my mother in law is always like, "You're just so busy." Like when we. We had kids, we went round to someone's house on a, every alternate Thursday for, and that was it. We never did, we didn't go out, we didn't leave the house. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> like as the like, you know, very out of my house person that I am, um, you know, it, that kind of kills me. But also I like, yeah, you didn't have access to that. Even my sister-in-law, they're like, we didn't have no the phone and that, which there's there's beautiful pros and there's beautiful cons of everything. But it's like, you know, that's why I'm on social media as much as I am, you know, co- showing the co-sleeping with my babes, showing the breastfeeding with my babes, showing my home birth. Like, you know, I don't love it. I don't love that my life is out there. But I see it that I've got this incredible ability to to shift culture and you know and that's I see it I see so much of what I do and share with mothering has a huge effect on what other people do and that's you know our our village has very much changed and it's about being really socially responsible as a person in it and yeah my my best friend I remember once she I think I was must have she was the one who caught my second babe because I told her to come over and look after my then three-year-old um, while I birthed my other babe. And then my husband was like, just go in and be a good friend and hold her hand. And she came in and held my hand and my body went, oh, and I just birthed my baby really quickly and my husband missed it because um, he was in the kitchen. <laughs> and um, I did tell him a baby was coming, but he t- thought I was talking labour smack, so he left me with her <laughs> and then she had to catch my baby. She was like, do you want to catch it? I was like, you fucking do it. And um, made her catch do your job do your job be my friend be in my village catch the baby (laughs) but I remember afterwards her just being like you know thank you so much for what you've given my girls like you use the word vulva and they hear that they see you breastfeed they've seen you birth like you know I'm unfiltered when you turn up to a live exercise with me your kids are going to hear the word anus and perineum like and I am not apologetic about that at all because that's what we should be calling it. Yeah. And so, you know, I really think where it's not like, oh, you have to go and lobby government. I mean, that would be great. Yes, thank you. But you, it's just the little conversations you have around your children mm-hmm. and exactly what you're saying. Yeah, we get in the kitchen and we um, do this. Like my son knows when I bleed, mommy gets to rest a little bit more. And then, yes. the, you know, the partner that he will be, if he has a woman partner and she bleeds, then, you know, that will flow on. Um, you know, my husband used to buy me period presents, like he'd get me a heat pack and bring me in some chocolate and he nourished me way before I even realized I needed to nourish myself. Like I actually learned that from him. And I was like, I want my boys to grow up and be those delicious humans to other women as well. Like my son's seen a birth. He knows that babies come out of vaginas. Like he's seen a placenta and a cord. Like I'm not saying everyone has to do this. I'm just saying there's so many different ways that we can start to change what it looks like for young girls um, and and women entering pregnancy. Yes, 100%. Mm. B, we are going to run out of time before we run out of topics. And Tom should be a part two. Hell, there's going to be a part three. Mate, there's going to be the trilogy of B. I'm just trilogy. I'm just going to like lock you in for life. I think Um, now that I found out you're a Malteser, we are in. We are in. We are in. I knew something about you. This is the second time this has happened to me, where I'm like something about this. So um, we have a um, a nutritionist, Dr. Stephanie Perotta, on the podcast as well. She's amazing researcher. Like, oh, so good. And then again, like halfway through, we were talking about food and she's like, oh, you know, because I'm a Maltese. And I was like, okay, <laughs> there we Wait. go. That's it. That's yeah. that's the nail on the head. 
I um, remember going to Malta and being like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm just Maltese. Like it was this moment in my life where I was like, this is who I am. Yeah, and I these are my people. With me. Yeah. But yeah. my dad's Scottish and my dad was born in Scotland. And when I went, I connect with the Maltese culture and the Maltese women and I understand that. But uh, my blood is in the highlands. Like when I went to Scotland, there was this energy. I was like, holy shit, I've been here before. Like oh, they were telling wow. stories. Yeah, they were telling stories of war. And I was like, I've been burned at a stake here or something <laughs> like that. You know, I've been killed in war here. Like something has happened. It was, I just bawled my eyes out standing in this spot listening to this story and just feeling this incredible. And if it was now, because I'm so much more connected to my body now, but back then I was like, what the fuck is happening to me? This is weird. Wow. Now I kind of see it as like, nah, I'm here. Like the, I'm, I'm That's a Scot. very interesting. Yeah. I'm so- very much half, half, but I, uh, mm. Scotland is just, there is, ooh, there is a part of that in me. And I'm a mountains, like you, Stick me on a mountain. You stick I know, I me keep, high. I keep seeing all your like um walking, and I'm just like, mm. oh my god! I need I I'm need to get hiker. more more out in the Tasmanian terrain. Oh yeah, um, I've done hikes down in Tassie. Like you've got some of the best in the world. Like there was a hike we wanted to do in Tassie, we never got to it, where you get dropped off by helicopter. Like it's like is that like is it the north? Yeah, the south. Yes, I've heard about that. That it is, is very yes, yeah, bit like, bare grills for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's my jam, right? So that's where the Scottish comes into me. I'm oh, like, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, anyway. We are going to finish up with our rapid fire, which we normally do, and I know okay. that you don't Ooh. do brief. So let's just, Ooh. instead of one word, let's keep it to one sentence maybe. Oh, maybe. okay. Okay. Pressure. Here we go. My parents' law is 10 <laughs> Let it go, let it go. Um, first question, top tip for birthing mothers. Connect with your pelvic space in pregnancy so you can trust it, learn how it works, learn about your body, listen to your body, don't listen to your care provider as much. That was, that was. Yeah, that's the caveat. Trying to be, ladies. Yeah, yeah. What is I don't want to lose my registration. (laughs) (laughs) What is your go-to resource, whether it be book, workshop for birthing mothers? My free antenatal classes. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> and we hang on. I'll say birth with confidence with Rhea Dempsey's book, Birth with Confidence. I oh, do. Oh, yes. Good one. That's a good yeah. one. Um, and we we um poached this from the lovely Renee Brown. What do you mm. keep on your bedside table? Nothing. I don't have a bedside table. I sleep on a mattress on the floor. <laughs> I love that. That is the first time anyone has said that. I don't have a bedside table. I like there's there's one in a room. Like we're living in a house at the moment that is um that is uh, that is furnished, and so there's some kids' books on it. But I don't keep anything, and I try not to sleep with the phone in the room because it's my work, and I don't want it there. So I yeah, that. I don't have a bedside table. I have a floor. I look great. Fantastic. How renegade am I? Yeah. I love Eat it. That. <laughs> Woo! Um, okay, B. So if the lovely listeners would love to find you and they've been living under a rock for however long, um, where would they find you on social media and your website as well for these amazing antenatal classes? Yeah, and there's more resources and the plan is to do more and more. It just there's the, the list is there, it's just not getting done. Um so core and floor restore. Core and floor restore dot com dot au or core and floor restore. Um we're at Instagram and I've now I've got a podcast which I never I thought would know. happen. Okay, we're just gonna pr- briefly plug that. It is the Great Birth Rebellion with Melanie, ja- Dr. Melanie, Dr. Melanie Jackson. There we go. Sorry, Miss um, Jackson. <laughs> and we're Mel and B. It's not. It's not sport. Scary. She's sporty spice or scary spice. Now I'm confused. Mel C was sporty. Mel B was scary. Scary. Yes. I had to was, was like transport oh, back to the nineties. Then. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Let's do that. Um, yeah. So it's Mel and B. Yes. I think you've dropped two episodes at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, One's coming every Monday. Oh, I, I love it. And they're it. out there. 
They're big. They're triggering. I just want to warn, like, you know, I just want to warn people. They're big. We're, we're, it's no big or go home. Well, you can't be a rebellion unless you, you know, are willing to challenge things. So that is us. I Mm. love it. I love it. Thank you so much for spending all this time with me. Um, As I said, it will definitely be part one to part. (laughs) Didn't answer any questions. I was like, we're not going to get to that. No, 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 no. Those are just like things where if I get stuck, (laughs) then Mm. then that is what we that's what we default to. But that's never really the case. Um, Let's chat soon. Beautiful, amazing, yeah, epic, so good. We'll see you in December if we don't otherwise, because we're coming to Hobart. Yes, you are. Amazing, yeah, amazing, yeah, epic. Thanks. See ya. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.